Good morning. Welcome to worship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Our Holy Gospel is from the first chapter of Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of our Lord. I invite you to join with me as we enter into our time of meditation today by praying with me the Holy Spirit prayer. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit instructs the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the things that we are discussing and talking about in confirmation class right now are the books of the Bible, and we are currently in the Old Testament, and as part of the Old Testament, we have this section of the prophets. In the Old Testament, there are, there are considered to be five major prophets and 12 minor prophets. Now, we also know that during this Old Testament history period that there were many, many, many other prophets, but these 17 were the ones that made it into the Old Testament canon. Ah, basic confirmation instruction, right? Now, sources say, I've got all kinds, you can, you can find this in the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible, which is this huge five-volume five set of books that basically anything and everything that you want to know about the Bible is, is in these five-volume sets. Each one of the volumes is like that thick, and the wording is, it's like triple-columned, and it's just like super small print, like you're, you're talking maybe, you know, maybe six font size compared to, you know, 12 font size. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, that's where I'm getting a lot of my information on this particular piece. They say that prophets played a significant role in the religious and political landscape of the Old Testament period. They were individuals who were gifted with divine inspiration, called by God to deliver messages to the people, especially to the people of Israel. And when, prof when the prophets spoke or when they communicated, they usually did one of five things. One of five things. Number one, they spoke on behalf of God. Number two, they oftentimes foretold a future event or future events. Three, some prophets actually guided and counseled kings. And 
Part of their job as a prophet to guide and counsel kings is to oftentimes exhort the king and call out injustice. And prophets did that a lot with kingship because there were some kings out there that were pretty corrupt. And it was necessary for the prophets to speak out against the injustice and the corruptness of those kings. They also called people back to repentance and finally, the fifth thing that prophets normally did was that they reminded the people of the covenant that God had made with them. Now, the passage that we have before us today is from Isaiah. Isaiah is considered one of the five major prophets. His ministry extended over 40 years during the reign of four different kings. And those kings during his time were Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah. Now let's just put that, put that into perspective for a minute for us in our lifetimes. In the past 40 years, you and I, as citizens of the United States of America, we have had seven presidents. Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden. Here and there. It's just, it's just, just, a, just something to give you a little bit of perspective on what 40 years entails. Seems like it's a blink of an eye, right? 40 years. Pfft. Reagan was president just yesterday, right? For some of us. Isaiah's ministry extended from 742 to 701 B.C. And when you do the math, the words that you and I are hearing today were spoken or written over 2,700 years ago. Now, if what the writer of 2 Peter, if, if the writer of 2 Peter is correct, that's basically the equivalent of about two and a half days in the life of God. You know, a day in the life of God is a thousand years. 2,700 years. It's only two and a half days in the life of God. But the thing that I find inspiring, even though these words before us today are 2,700 years old, I find them inspiring as a person of a faith because they instill, instill hope within me. Can you imagine that? That words that were spoken 2,700 years ago can still instill hope in a person living today? And in many respects, we can even say that the words that Isaiah spoke 2,700 years ago, they are as prophetic today as they were when they were spoken to those people way long ago. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. And uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Isn't that what we're still waiting for? I'm still waiting for that. I don't know about you, but I'm still waiting for that. Both Isaiah and the Gospel of Mark have this image of the wilderness. And I find this reference to the wilderness to be humbling and helpful in my understanding. In my understanding of where we find ourselves in this earthly pilgrimage right now. When I think about wilderness, and there's all kinds of wilderness, isn't there? We got the wilderness right out there in our backyard. 
We see it every single day of our lives. It's just right there. And if you're not prepared, that's a scary place. That's a scary place out there. How many people have died in the desert of Arizona? Because the desert, the wilderness, kills. We got the wilderness of the tundra up in northern Canada, and you got the wilderness of the great forests of Alaska. You got these beautiful wilderness areas in the Rocky Mountains. I mean, I got lost in Michigan deer hunting. I got lost. The forests are so thick in Michigan that I got lost. The only thing that I knew that saved me was I said, well, I know something, and if I stay walking in the same direction long enough, I know I'm going to hit a road eventually. And I did. Eventually I hit a road. And then I had to stop at a house and say, where am I? And then they told me where I was, and then I, then I knew where I was. But literally, I got lost in the wilderness of Michigan. But when I think about the wilderness, it represents a place of uncertainty. It, uh, it can have characteristics similar to chaos and a sense of lostness, especially if you are ill-prepared. Wilderness can be a place of danger, and it can be life-threatening. Wilderness can also be a place where we are open to vulnerability, and it can be a place where our vulnerabilities are exposed. Isaiah, along with many other prophets, spoke. Now, and I think that's the one thing that we need to understand, is that when, when Isaiah talks about the wilderness, he's not, he's not necessarily talking about a, a physical wilderness. He's talking about the wilderness of this life that you and I live in. It's a, figurative, it's a figure of speech. And this wilderness that we live in as human beings in our world with the people that we live with around the world, it's, it's, it's a chaotic, uncertain place. And Isaiah, along with many other prophets, in their guiding and counseling of kings, oftentimes had to speak truth to power. That's one of the roles, one of the responsibilities as prophets is to speak truth to power, and that their divinely inspired words spoke of injustice and inequality, and they exposed corruption and power. I'm surprised that these prophets survived as long as they did. To imagine, can you imagine Isaiah speaking out against corruption and power to kings and still somehow managing to live for 40 years? The reality is, is that prophets spoke to privilege that's what people with power have. People of power have privilege. Did you know that you have privilege? Yep, you do. Living in the United States of America, you are richer than 90% of all the people in the world. It doesn't matter what your income is, you're still richer than 90% of all the people in the world. You have privilege. You have power. You have influence. Whether you know it or not, you are privileged. And unfortunately, unfortunately, some people in our world, some people in our United States of America, some people in positions of great power, those people are the people that the prophets spoke to. And history has shown us more times than not that the people with privilege and power are corrupt. Not everybody, but a lot of them are. And oftentimes, those people... Those people in power support unjust, inequitable policies and practices that ex exploit 
and enslave and impoverish people. It's been going on for centuries, folks. But one of the things that I find hopeful with this image of the wilderness, and especially with the words from Isaiah today, is this sense of leveling. Everything's on same level. The wilderness can be a place where our sense of privilege can be given up or taken from us. Where our perceived self-image of having power, influence, wealth, comfort, and safety, it can all be taken away from us in the wilderness. You want to have a humbling experience? Drop somebody out in the middle of the wilderness without water, without a razor, motorized vehicle, without sunglasses, without protection from the sun, and you will have a humbling experience real fast. And you will be brought to your knees in humility because you have no power over the wilderness. It is a place that levels the plain. For me, as I hear these words from Isaiah, these words about the wilderness, they have the possibility of being the great equalizer. When Isaiah speaks of wilderness, it can represent both a place where people of privilege and power promote injustice and equality because that's what happens in that wilderness of the world that we live in. And those who are experiencing it at the same time who are experiencing the power and the privilege that promotes injustice and equality, those people are the ones who are experiencing the injustice. They are also living in a wilderness of chaos and uncertainty. That's the reality of this wilderness that we live in. But the wilderness that Isaiah speaks of can also be a place of overwhelming, humbling, leveling. And I, for one, I'm only speaking for myself, but that's one of the prayers that I pray a lot. I pray for an overwhelming leveling for those with privilege and power. How can we not, how can we not, as people of faith, pray for a leveling of that, for a leveling of the corruption in those with power and privilege? Deb Thomas speaks of this leveling in the most eloquent voice where she writes, she says, our reading from Isaiah suggests that this great leveling, this great reversal of high and low, rich and poor, full and empty, arrogant and humble, must happen before the Lord appears to gather his flock in his arms. And she further writes, she says, the highway that will bring God into our midst is the highway that we must pave through this leveling, this toppling, this sustained insistence on justice, healing, reparation, and liberation. That is the role of the church. That is the role of the Christian church in the world, is to be that constant, insistent voice against, for justice, for healing, for reparation, for liberation. And then she concludes and she says this, if we don't consider this good news, if we don't consider speaking out for justice and healing and liberation, if we don't consider that good news, then we need to interrogate where we're located. And so, at the risk of sounding a, even minusculely prophetic, because that's what I am, I am just a minuscule voice, I am only one simple 
voice in Lake Havasu City, Arizona, and my voice really has very little power or influence of any at all when it comes to the overall scheme of things in the world. I'm just a little minuscule voice. But at the, at the, at the risk of sounding prophetic in a minuscule voice, I'm going to tell you that part of, our, part of the coming of the kingdom that you and I seek as people of faith Part of the coming of the kingdom of God that we seek as people of faith, it is all about the leveling of the injustice and the inequality of this world. I know, that doesn't sound very prophetic, does it? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I think that, I think that, I think that Deb Thomas is on to something where the gap between rich and poor, full and empty, arrogant and humble comes with a great leveling. And the question that I have for you and for me is are we going to keep on seeking? Are we going to keep on calling for this leveling? And if we are, what will it take? One of the messages from the prophets was is that they called people back to repentance. I think that's one of the things it's going to take. That same voice of repentance is before us today in the voice of one crying in the wilderness through the voice of John the Baptist. And when he calls for repentance, that means that we are asked to turn away in both the mind and in the heart from self, from self to God. It's a change of mind that leads to action. And I'm speaking only for myself, but I can say to you that I stand before you today as one who has not done enough. In my 67 years of life, I have not done enough. In my 67 years of life, I can say to you that I stand before you to one who has been complicit in my silence. And that should call me back to repentance. Deb Thomas asks, where is God leveling the ground that you stand on? And what will it take for you to participate in that uncomfortable but essential work? You see, that's one of the reasons why we are complicit in silence, because it's an uncomfortable thing for us to do, to speak out. And yet I think this is a fundamental question that we all need to ask ourselves. Where is God's leveling the ground that you stand on? Where is God leveling the ground that you stand on? And what will it take for you to participate in that uncomfortable but essential work? We cannot and we must not stop being the voice in the wilderness. The church cannot stop doing that. Pastors cannot stop preaching it. We have to keep on saying it. It's what the Lord wants us to do. We cannot stop being the voice in the wilderness, the voice that calls for a great leveling of the injustices and the inequalities of this world. And there is no doubt that we are still in the wilderness. All you have to do is look around and you see it. It's everywhere. A wilderness of chaos, uncertainty, injustice, and inequality. And maybe we think that we're isolated in this little paradise out here in the, in the desert, but we're not. There is injustice and inequality right here in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. I see it every single day. I speak to them every single day. I live with those people. I know who they are. They've sat in my office. We remain in a world, but we, we are in the midst of that wilderness, but we remain there with the confidence of a God that promises, promises to come to us in the midst of the wilderness. That's why we are meant to be a beacon. That's why we are meant to, to be a light. You know, somebody got it right. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know, you're, on a you're a beacon on a hill. 
That's what we're to be about. We can remain in this wilderness with the confidence and the faith that God promises to come to us in the wilderness with a voice that says and continues to stay and will never ever stop saying because what did our scripture say today? That the word of the Lord goes on forever. It's not going to stop. And that word of the Lord is going to continue to speak words again and again and again. And those words for 2,700 years have said, every valley will be exalted, every mountain and hill made low, uneven ground will become level, and the rough places plain. It may not come in our lifetime, but it is going to come. The advent of Christ is here, and it is still coming. And as Deb Thomas challenges us, may we, like the prophets who came before us, May we become brave voices in hard places, preparing the way of the Lord. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Please pray with me the Lord's Prayer. Our, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Hallelujah. Go in peace. Tell what God has done. Thanks be to God. Alleluia.